All right. Thank you so much. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles, if we could, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, um, as has been mentioned several times, I don't know everyone out here, and you may not know me, um, but I, from what I'm, I'm hearing and seeing, it seems like there's people you may be new. One thing you can grab is there are some Bibles there that are on the pews, and I, I, I turned to it, I found page 548. If you'd like to turn there in your pew Bible, that will be the chapter that I'll be in, uh, page 548 in, your, in the Bible that's there in the pew uh, will be uh, Isaiah chapter 53. Um, but that's where we'll be in just a second. So I'll give you a minute to turn there. Um, but, uh, it is, it is great to see you all. Um, there are some familiar faces and, uh, it is just uh, a pleasure, uh, getting to see you once again. And, uh, some of you are, uh, uh, new to me. So please, um, I hope that, uh, before today's over, we'll get to, uh, take a minute and at least get to know each other. And, um, this, uh, this, uh, we were, of course, I was here this last November. This year's meeting is going to be much better. My wife's here. It's going to be so much better. And uh, so, uh, so I'm thankful. My wife, Hannah, is uh, right down here. And, uh, of course, our boys are here as well. We, we had to bring them too. Um, so, uh, but, uh, so we've got two boys, and uh, their names are Samuel and Campbell, and they're four and two. And so um, we have, uh, and Hannah's pregnant with our third. And um, so we, are, uh, we, are, we're, we have our hands full. So as, uh, as I'm sure plenty of you have already walked that road and uh, fall, tripped over that, uh, that uh, road too, uh, as we're trying to do as well. So um, that's us. And so we're looking forward to this week. Um, if if you are confused at all, be sure you refer to your bulletin on what's happening on what night. Um, but let me encourage you with this because, you know, make sure you're looking at your bulletin because, for example, you won't want to show up here at five. Otherwise, you might be here by yourself, you know. And uh, uh, so uh, make sure you um, check that. Uh, of course, if adults, if you show up uh, to the teen night or to the children's night, you are welcome. Uh, however, I will say this. Don't be upset if we're doing teen stuff and children's stuff on those nights, okay? Um, and at the mess of course is more geared towards them but please if you want to come feel free to do that and uh, uh fill in in the back uh the uh, everything that's going on will be more for the young people um but uh, the big thing is people friday night okay friday night is the night you will not want to miss on friday night is our family night <clears throat> and so Invite anybody you want. We call it family night. If you bring your coworkers or friends or something like that, that is fine. If you bring, uh, if you're bringing cousins and parents and uh, siblings and all that, that's great as well. Um, and it doesn't matter age, children, teenagers. This thing is geared for all ages. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I do, I love having uh, bringing the children <clears throat> kind of up towards the front. We have some special things I do with them, and so you will want to come. It will be a good time. I think it'll be a fun time uh, for your family. If you were here last year, you remember we had a good time. Yes. This was a good time. Um, you know, one of the things I love about family night, and I probably mentioned it last year, is I love watching. Sometimes uh, there's some, sometimes there's some folks out there that, um, I don't know, I like to smile. Maybe you don't, um, but uh, there are some out there that they just uh, just almost never smile. And uh, it is great how on family night I'll see them like crack a smile. You know, they're trying to hold it in, uh, but they crack a smile, and uh, and it doesn't it does it does them great. It, do, it does them great. So um, uh, you'll enjoy. We're gonna have some fun right here in this room on family night. We'll also open God's word on family night, but we'll have some special things. So a big thing is be inviting, especially if you have um maybe someone who doesn't uh, know for sure where they're gonna spend eternity. That. Friday night is going to be a fantastic night for you to bring them uh, so they can hear what the Bible says about how they can have eternal life. 
Okay, and so um, so make sure that you uh, are inviting for that. Let me just tell you a few things that are out on the table. One, um, please grab our prayer card, okay? Please grab our prayer card and and pray for us. Uh, there's um, a bunch of different prayer requests that you can uh, uh, that you can pray about for us in the coming days, and uh, they're listed out even by uh, the day of the month. And so there's one for every day of the month, a different thing. And so uh, you can be praying for that. Uh, those things. There's also um, and I know some of you are already getting my emails, but if you like to hear from us once a month, I send out an email. I include pictures, just kind of tell you where we've been, what we've been doing. Uh, sometimes I've got some neat stories about what God's done in some people's lives. And so, um, so if you'd like to sign up for that, there's a spot on the table. There's a paper there. You can sign your email up. And so long as I can read it, I will enter your email into the, uh, my email database. You know, if you get a letter wrong, uh, if I get a letter wrong, then uh, I'm, I apologize. If uh, if you put your email down Nick, last November and it, it, you have not gotten anything from me, it may be because I thought it was a one and it was an L or something like that. Okay, so um, uh, but yeah, I've had I've had people on their email address. They'll write it down, then they'll write off to the side. This is an L. They'll circle it and put an arrow down to the to the mark and uh, whatever you need to do. Uh, but also, you'll find music on the table there. Um, this is a CD of my wife and I singing. It's called Prepare, and so uh, my wife and I put a CD together a, a few years back, and so that is back there on the table, uh, back there. There also are, um, if you like to hear guys sing, you like a little bit of gospel music, there's two uh, CDs back there, you'll see pictures of guys on the front of them, and uh, I got to sing in a couple of men's groups, and so if you like some gospel music, this is back there as well uh, on the table. And you'll also find um, seven volumes of their called Bible Songs for Kids, and what they are is it's just simply Bible verses put to music. That's all it is. Bible verses put to music um, because I don't know if you've ever picked this up, but um, you probably noticed this. You ever notice how that you can still remember lyrics to some song that was popular three, four, five, six decades ago, you know, and, uh, and you can still remember the lyrics to those songs. Isn't it weird how if you put some music with it, that stuff sticks with you and it won't let you alone? So why not? Why not the scriptures? This is a great thing for children, for your grandchildren, uh, so that the scriptures are able to get into their minds. This is something that we play um, some, uh, for our children, just so that the scriptures are flowing through their minds and uh, helps to help memorize them. There's also several uh, volumes of Bible stories for kids, and uh, those, are, those are neat uh, dramatized stories. Stories. Uh, uh, they dramatize some of the Bible stories that are in the scriptures and, uh, and uh, have a gospel message with them. So those are all on the table. Folks, there's a box on the table. However many CDs you take off the table, put something in the box that you think is fair. Okay, put some cash in there, just whatever you think is fair. There's no price tag. You won't find any. That's on purpose. You don't have to ask me how much they're worth, how much should I put in. You just put in whatever uh, you're able to do. And uh, if you want to, you know, take one home or uh, I have backups of everything. So sometimes people will clear out what they want and then they bring the cash the next night because they only had, they didn't have cash that night, whatever you want to do. Um, but uh, uh, please take advantage of that in these coming days. Okay. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 53 is where we're going to be um, this morning in the scriptures. I'm going to tell you what folks, um, you know, sometimes you got to look at as you, oh, I hope you read your Bible. And as you read your Bible, sometimes you'll notice uh, in the scriptures, different themes that follow. Sometimes it's easy to look at certain books because they actually have a bunch of narratives and stories to tell us about um, that we can kind of follow someone's life through the scriptures. But um, also, uh, but sometimes, you know, 
it's it's not doing that. The book of Isaiah is is like that. It has a few chapters that tell us about some events and history that happened, but there's a lot of prophecy and preaching that goes on in the book of Isaiah. One of the things that goes on in chapters 42 all the way up through chapter 53 is the prophet Isaiah keeps talking about this person called, he calls him the servant of the Lord. Keeps talking about him over and over and over again, the servant of the Lord. And, you know, uh, so really the question ought to be asked, well, who exactly is this servant of the Lord? And you know something, as, as we, if you would read your New Testament, you would realize that this, these descriptions of this servant of the Lord are, can only be describing one person, and that's Jesus. Because yes. especially one of the things we're going to look at in Isaiah 53 is that there are some very specific things that are said that this servant of the Lord is going to do or that is going to happen to this servant of the Lord. And folks, if you know anything about Jesus and the New Testament, you know he fulfilled all of them. By the way, I'll just say this. Maybe you're here, maybe you struggle with the concept of, is there really a God? Could there possibly be a God out there? Something that really helped me was to realize something out of these scriptures is that the book of Isaiah was written in the 700s BC. So think um, 700 years before Jesus was even born, okay? And he wrote down specifics of what the servant of the Lord would do. And Jesus fulfilled all of them. Folks, for uh, uh, one thing I read is that to just get, um, it was uh, the prophecies in the Old Testament, just to get eight of them right from all throughout the Old Testament, if you just picked eight prophecies for one person to get them all right and live them completely out, um, one guy said it was, it's a one in a 10 with 17 zeros after it, whatever that number is, one in a big number chance. In other words, it is all but impossible unless God is in the picture. If you ever wonder if there's a God, one of the things that helped me was to say, wow, 700 years before Jesus was born, God wrote down all kinds of prophecies and Jesus fulfilled them all. What we're going to look at is one of the things that Jesus, that the servant of the Lord, Jesus, it says that he is going to do is he is going to meet a very special need that people have. And it says over and over, we're going to look at it. He is going to atone for sin. So we're going to look at that here in these, uh, in these moments and look at <clears throat> what I've titled uh, this message, The Suffering Savior. So let's look, first of all, number one, let's see who is this Savior that's talked about, this servant of the Lord. Verse number one says, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Verse two says, talking about this, uh, talking about Jesus, this servant of the Lord, it says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, notice this, and as a root out of a dry ground. So who is the Savior going to be? Well, we know one thing about him is that his background was going to be, he's not going to come from any kind of a fancy place. You say, Matt, how do you know that? Well, verse 2 says that Jesus would be, he says, a root out of a dry ground. Now, when I came, uh, when we came in, actually, I preached in Colorado. We went up to Yellowstone National Park. How many of y'all been to Yellowstone? Anyone been to Yellowstone? Good, yeah, yeah, And so uh, we were at Yellowstone, came down through Nevada, and came all the way here to uh, Elmira, California. And that required us to go through the desert. I love desert. I love rough. I love rugged. I think that is gorgeous. Some of you are like, just give me the beach, okay? Just give me the beach, okay? I, I love the rough and rugged desert. I love it. And um, so, you know, uh, you know, if we were coming, especially through the desert of Nevada and we're going through uh, on the interstate there, you know, it would be really odd. With You know, you look at all the brush that is out there. In some places, I mean, it is just, you know, dry brush that's out there. Wouldn't it be kind of odd if all of a sudden we said, oh, that's a nice maple tree just right there next to the road? You would say, well, that could never grow there. It has no place 
being there because may, a maple tree, if I'm, I think I'm right, I don't know much about uh, biology and such, but uh, a maple tree should not be surviving in the middle of the Nevada desert. So if you saw one right next to the highway, you would say something really weird is going on here. You would say something odd is happening. And so this is how Jesus described, he described as a root, a tender plant that's in a dry ground. Because you know, when Jesus came, remember coming at Christmas time, he was the king of the universe, yet he did not come to a palace. He was born in a stable. He was born in a manger where animals eat. He was not born in a royal palace with, uh, with people all around him and doctors attending to him. No, he was born to Mary and Joseph. Just a simple place. He wasn't born in a famous place. He didn't have a famous background. Notice his appearance says, he hath no form nor comeliness. In other words, it means he did not look like royalty. He did not look like some kind of a model. Sometimes when you, uh, if you look at, um, you know, especially Renaissance paintings of Jesus, he looks like some kind of muscular six foot five, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> white male. That's what he looks like. But you know, reality is, is that he would have just been, a, uh, he would have looked like a Jew, just any other. Other, other, other Jews that were there in the land of Israel. In other words, he wasn't some kind of, um, he didn't walk around with a halo over his head. He would have looked like you and me. He would have looked like you and me. And it says his, he did not look like royalty. His, he had no form or comeliness. It says when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. But notice also the Savior is he was, it says verse 3, he was despised and rejected of men. And you know, as you read in your New Testament, you'll find out when Jesus presented himself, especially read it in Luke chapter four, when Jesus presented himself to the people and said, hey, I am your savior. He read a portion of Isaiah, not Isaiah 53, it was Isaiah 62, I think it was, when he read this chapter and said, today the prophecies are fulfilled in your ears. I am your savior from your sins. Guess what? The Jews should have jumped up and down and said, woohoo, a savior is finally here. But instead, you know what the Jews did? They despised him. They rejected Jesus. They pushed him away. You know why? Because his plan was not to deliver him from the Roman Empire. Jesus had a bigger plan in mind. Jesus' plan was to deliver them from their sins. Can I tell you what Jesus wants to do for you today? He wants to deliver you from your sins. A day will come, and a day is coming, the Bible tells us, when he is going to reign. And the wrongs that you want righted, he is going to right them in power and with authority. But the thing is, that time is not yet. Right now, he wants to deliver you from your sins. See, some of you might be here today and you just want, you're, you have, you're kind of like the Jews. You just want God to make your way a little easier. You just want him to answer prayers when you need it and just kind of show up when you need a little bit of backup. And that's all, that's all you want, is you just want Jesus to just kind of take care of you, make your life easy, and do what you ask him to do. But I'll tell you, some of you in this room, you don't want him to deal with your sin. Can I tell you something? The greatest thing Jesus wants to do is he wants to deal with your sin. That's the whole point of him coming. That's the whole point of him being born at Christmas time and dying on a cross on Good Friday and rising again from the grave at Easter is because his job was to heal the issues of mankind. Not our, our physical diseases, but our spiritual diseases are the problem of sin. So that's who the Savior is. That's number one. Number two, then, I want you to see the sinners in need of a Savior. So Jesus comes, he's coming to be a Savior. Well, what, who are the people he's coming to save? Look at verse 6. It says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, everyone has turned to his own way. You know what God says? He says, every single one of us, every person in this room, no matter what our status is, no matter what, what amount of money's in the bank, no matter what our background is, God says we're all like sheep who have gone astray. You know, we, in other words, we do not, you know, sheep do not naturally know the best place where they should go. That's why they need a shepherd. In the same way, we are not, some people think, well, I'm just naturally kind of a good person. We are not. You know, the Bible says we are not naturally born good people. The Bible says we are born sinners. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, what it's saying is this, we were not born good people, we were born as sinners. Friend, if you have a problem with that, and if you say, I don't agree with that, you ought to have kids. <laughs> and then you'll believe that, that we are born with a sin nature. I mean, have you, I mean, goodness gracious. You know, I remember the first time my four-year-old lied to me. I remember the first time when I heard it, when I saw it. Do you know that he's never, we've never trained him out a lie, and he, ne he never trained him out a lie, and I don't know that he had told a lie up to then, and my wife and I, that's when we have our, we have our issues, but one thing we don't do is we don't lie to each other. And so he's never heard people lie to him or doesn't know what a lie is, uh, would think wouldn't know what a lie is. But when he, I remember the first time I really processed, okay, he has told a lie. I got down on his level and said, Samuel, did you lie to me? And I'm going to tell you what, he knew exactly what I was talking about. How? Why? Because that is, that is intrinsically who we are. Why is it that our children just naturally, they, um, they, 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 they naturally, they want to be unkind. They want to get angry. They want to, uh, they want to lie. Why do they want to do these things naturally? Why? You ever notice that we have to train them again and again and again to be kind, to say please, to say thank you? You know why? Because that's not naturally in us. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, the first man created, Adam, it says, Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. It says, And so death passed upon all men. Why? For that all have sinned. We've all sinned before a holy, righteous God. None of us can look at God and say, well, I am a righteous man. No, sir, no, ma'am. Every one of us has sinned. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 53 says, we're all like sheep. We've all gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And notice, by the way, I think this is important to notice then. It says at the end of verse 6, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. At the end of verse number 8, Isaiah 53, 8, it says, for the transgression of my, of my people, transgression is a big word for sin, for the sin of my people was Jesus stricken. In other words, what I'm saying, what it's saying is this, we'll get to what Jesus' part on this is, but it says because of our sin, there was a punishment. In just a moment, we'll talk about how the Bible says it was laid on Jesus. But notice this, friend, is that your sin and my sin has to be punished. Now listen, we like justice, don't we? We like justice. Do you know what a judge's job is? His job is to bring down justice. And let me tell you this. Do you know if someone was to commit a crime against you, someone was to steal, someone was to assault you, someone was to injure you, something like that, anything like that, a good judge for one thing, would, uh, would get you uh, uh, restitution for you. But you know what a judge does? One of his biggest jobs to do is to punish crime. What if a judge never punished crime? You know what we'd say about that judge? That judge is not 
fair. If a judge, if you had someone that stole from you, and it's about as duh obvious as can be, and the judge says, you know what, I understand he stole from you, but just I, I'm having a pretty good day today. You going to do it anymore? Hey, so he says he's not going to do it anymore. So you know what? Well, let's go on this one. I just, you know, just be careful in the future. Try not to do that again. You know what we'd say? That judge is not fair. Why? Because a judge's job is to punish crime. You know what the Bible call, describes God as? A judge who will do right. The Bible says, shout out the judge of all earth do right. One of the things that God, as a judge, must do is he must punish our sin. If he doesn't, he would not be fair. So he's got to punish our sin. That's why the Bible says in Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Isaiah 3.11 says, woe, meaning, uh, meaning uh, destruction upon the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands will be given him. Psalm 9.17 says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Listen, folks, God, Jesus does not mince words on this. The Bible says that there is a real place called hell. Jesus declares it. But the rest of the Bible does, but Jesus declares it too. Now, if you want to, maybe you say, well, uh, you can say what you want, Matt, but uh, I don't believe in hell. Well, friend, I'm just telling you, that's calling Jesus a liar, and I'd be careful with that, because Jesus said there's a hell. Why? Because that is the only fitting punishment for our extensive sin. That's how bad our sin is. See, you may think, you may think your sin is not that bad. In God's eyes, it is. You know, our sin is never all that bad. When we look at our sin, it's never all that bad. Now, his sin, definitely bad, right? Her sin, really bad. My sin, not so bad. Isn't that us? Isn't that us? We give ourselves such a good pass when it comes to sinful things. But, you know, him, yeah, punish him. Her, woo, yeah, she needs, to, she needs to go down. But us, well, I've had mistakes, but I feel like I'm doing all right. No, we're not. Our sin deserves to be punished. Our sin is as exceedingly sinful. And by the way, folks, notice it says that the iniquity, the punishment for our sin, we're going to get to this in just a moment, as I keep saying, it says that the punishment for our sin was laid, verse 6 says, on him. In other words, the punishment that should be dumped out on us, the punishment of hell, it says it was dumped out on Jesus, which is really neat. By the way, it tells, tells me this, as we're going to look at in a moment, apparently... This penalty, this death penalty, this hell penalty that's on top of me for my sin, apparently the Bible says it can only, the only way to have it paid for is Jesus has to do something about it. In other words, it's this. You and me, we can't pay for our own sins. Right. You know, some people want to teach and say, well, you know, if I'm just a pretty good person, I feel like God will just let me into the pearly gates of heaven. Listen, Frank, can I say this kindly? I don't know where you got that idea, but send it back. You know why? Because that's not what God's Bible says. And when you stand before God, he's not going to judge you based on how you feel or what you thought or what your denomination taught. He's going to judge you based on what his Bible says. That's why here we uphold the Bible over all, over all things. Because God says that, that it says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says, uh, it says that um, for by grace you're saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Verse 9 says that salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. Because, man, if you could get to heaven by doing a bunch of good things, you know what you'd be able to do when you got there? Brag. 
you'll be able to say, oh, people, look at all the stuff that I did. You want to read through my bio of all the good things I did to get to, to get to this place? Check me out. Look at all this stuff I did. We'd be able to brag. But you know what's going to happen? Is that because if you put your trust on Jesus to, uh, to save you from your sins, when we get to heaven, we can't brag about the good things we did. We're going to get to brag about Jesus. Because he is the one who had the punishment for our sins laid on him. We could not pay for it. Our, our good works couldn't pay for it. Our baptism couldn't pay for it. Sacraments can't pay for it. Communion can't pay for it. Uh, uh, church membership cannot pay for it. Reading your Bible cannot pay for it. The only sufficient payment where, you, uh, where your, your uh, sin penalty can be dumped on, it cannot be paid for with, with works, with baptism, with communion, anything like that. It's got to be paid for by Jesus. So number four, I want you to, or number three, I want you to see this, is I want you to see the innocence of your Savior. In other words, can I tell you who did not deserve your death, penalty, your death penalty and my death penalty of sin? You know who didn't deserve it? Jesus didn't deserve it. You know why? Because he never did anything wrong. Look at what the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse number seven. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. By the way, you can read about that in the New Testament. Jesus did not try to get like a lawyer in and have a big defense no he just allowed himself to be punished um it says he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb so he openeth not his mouth verse um verse 9 says and he made his grave with the wicked in other words he was buried in tombs just like any other unsaved uh sinner it says with the rich in his death here it is because he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth. In other words, what God is telling us about, uh, or what the Bible is telling us about Jesus is that he never did anything wrong. Can I tell you who does nothing wrong is God alone. He's the only one who could never do anything wrong, which tells me this. Jesus was not just some kind of, uh, was not some kind of um, demigod. He wasn't some sort of subset of God. He wasn't some kind of alternative God. You read your Bible, you'll find Jesus is declared to be God. And in the Bible, in fact, in John chapter 5, when he declared himself and described himself as the son of God, some people trip over that. But listen, if you were a Jew back then, everyone, all the Jews knew that when Jesus called himself the son of God, John 5 says that the Jews immediately tried to, wanted to make plans to kill Jesus because when he claimed to be the son of God, John 5 says that, John 5 says that they knew he was making himself equal with God. Not a subset of God, not a demigod, not a lower God down the pedestal. But Jesus said, I am. He claimed to be the God of the Old Testament. And folks, you better decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And, what Je and with what Jesus did, for he was absolutely innocent. He had done nothing wrong. And yet, even though he had done nothing wrong, he was willing to take your sin penalty and my sin penalty on himself. Can I tell you something? That is a God who loves you. Sometimes we get so tied up and wow, God would punish our sins so deeply. We forget about the fact that God loved you so much that even though he was absolutely innocent of any sin, yet he was willing to take your penalty and my penalty. Even though he had done nothing wrong. Can I tell you something? That's someone who loves you a lot. You know, if you were, uh, you were brought into court Maybe you had a like a $5,000 fine that was leveled on you. And someone came in, came to your aid, who had, done, had nothing to do with anything, paid your fine. I'm going to tell you what, that person loves you a lot. When someone who has never done, hasn't done your crime comes in and pays your penalty, that's someone who loves you. 
And God, the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So then I want you to see number four. You've seen the, um, uh, who is this Savior? You've seen us, the sinners in need of the Savior. Number three, we've seen the innocence of the Savior. He didn't do anything wrong. And number four, I want you to see the suffering of the Savior. Look how, look, because we keep referring to this. What did Jesus do to pay for your sins? Because it caught, it was a big penalty. Verse five says, uh, verse five says, but he was wounded. Why? For our transgressions. You know what the word wounded is? The word wounded is a word that means to pierce. And of course, that's exactly what happened with Jesus. You know, by the way, just to let you know, you know, prophecy again, no one could, you know, back then, there was no, in 700, there was no Roman Empire. There was no, crucifixion was not a popular thing. How did, how, how did he know? How could the prophet Isaiah know that, that this great, that this um, suffering servant was going to be pierced? Well, it's because God knew. It's because God knew that Jesus was going to be pierced. As he, as Jesus was taken and was pinned upon that cross, the Bible says that they took him and they would nail him. The Romans would take, they'd place huge, almost the size of railroad spikes. They'd take these nails, place it through the wrists and pin both wrists to either side of the cross. They'd cross the feet and drive a nail in the same fashion, uh, like a railroad spike through the feet to pin the feet to the cross. They would take that cross and hoist it up. They'd dig a little hole in the ground and that cross would be dropped down into that, into that hole and there would hang the person until they died. Some died uh, by dehydration. Uh, some, died, uh, some died by blood loss. Many died by asphyxiation, meaning they couldn't breathe. In other words, the Romans put them in such an awkward position that if you were going to breathe out, you could, all, you could breathe in, but if you were going to breathe out, you had to push up on the nail, get yourself up high to breathe out, then you could slump back down again. Now I'm going to tell you what, you can only do that for so long. And the Romans allowed Jesus there to be tortured and to be pierced through. Not only that, but once he died, just to confirm that he was dead, the Bible tells us that they even took a spear and pierced it into his side. Why would Jesus suffer so? For your sins and my sins. Because he loved you that much. He'd suffer a penalty that he didn't deserve. For your sins and for my sins. Verse 5 then says, not only was he wounded for our transgressions, but it says there, he was bruised for our iniquities. The word bruised there, it means to be crushed. To be crushed. And, and what this is, the idea there, of course, he wasn't crushed with a boulder or a rock or something like that. But rather, the, the picture here is reminiscent really of Genesis chapter 3 and, and describes how that really what this crushing was was, was, the, uh, was the weight of the guilt and the, of the penalty of your sin. It was almost as if, as Jesus hung there on that cross, it was almost as if God took every last one of your sins, every last time that you've ever, that you've ever lusted or become angry or become bitter or have, have cursed or have done any sinful thing. It was as if God took every last one of these sins and it was as if God compressed them into one moment of time, all of our sins, and then placed them on Jesus Christ there on that cross. And as Jesus hung on that cross, the weight of your sin and my sin was placed upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And there the Bible says that he bore our sins for us. Our sin had so greatly offended God. Jesus, he was God. He had not offended himself with his sinfulness. He was holy. He was perfect. We are the ones who sinned. And yet God loved you so much that he came to this earth and took his own wrath and poured it on himself. 
Because he loved you that much to be willing to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. It says then in verse number five, it says he was bruised for our iniquities. Then it says, this is kind of um, kind of big language here. It says, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. What does that mean? Well, chastisement just simply means punishment. Okay, so stick that word in. So it says in verse five, the punishment, you could say, that brought about our peace was upon him. In other words, Jesus' punishment on the cross was the only, the only form of punishment that could bring you peace with God. Do you ever watch? Um, do you ever watch like old westerns, black and white westerns, real old stuff? You know, sometimes when the you know the uh, the lead cowboy, whatever, whoever the hero is, you know, he's in the. Sometimes he's been wrongfully jailed. He's about to be executed, and, and uh, you know the padre comes in, right? And he comes in and says, "What question?" He asks him, "Have you made your?" peace with God. And oftentimes they say, Padre, it's okay. I, I've already, a father, it's okay. I've already made my peace with God. They say this and they just use it flippantly. Like, what does that even mean? Folks, do you know how you can have peace with God? God says the having peace with God comes from the work that Jesus did on the cross. Peace with God does not come by you doing a bunch of good things. It doesn't come by you being a church member or getting baptized or attending church a lot. Peace with God comes from the chastisement, the punishment that was laid on Jesus when he was placed on the cross. Then verse number five says, and with his stripes, we are healed. What a, what a beautiful prophecy because Jesus was going to be whipped on the day that he died. Before he went to the cross, the Bible tells us that he was whipped by the Romans, which would have meant they would have used something like, a, not like a cowboy whip, they would have used something called the cat of nine tails, which would have been kind of like a, a rod, had something with a handle. It would have had nine leather straps coming out of it. And at the end of every leather strap, they would have, uh, the Romans would have tied a sharp piece of glass or a sharp stone or a sharp a broken piece of pottery, something that would be sharp. And what they would do is these Romans, they they treated, they treated whippings like a sport. They would practice it like a sport and they would take a person, they'd tie their hands across, across the wrist or spread eagle. They would not get down on the ground. They'd take this prisoner and tie him high so that all the muscles along their back would be tight. They would take this whip and as they would whip it, they had trained so that, the, that as those leather strands, as they were coming forward, those leather strands would come around the body, catch in the front, and then they could pull back and two men would go in at the same time. One coming in on the right as he pulled back the one on the left was going in and it was a gruesome, brutal process. Do you know why it was so gruesome and brutal? Because your sin and my sin is that bad. It's not funny. The TV shows today make sin look like it's funny. It's not funny. It cost our God his life. He willingly gave up his life because your sin and my sin was that bad. You know, our, our sin deserves the the death penalty of hell, that's why Jesus had to die. By the way, that's why your good works can't pay for sins because they're not death. That's why your baptism can't pay for sins because it's not death. Only death can pay for your sins. That's why Jesus died for you. But then I love this. Verse number 10 says this. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush this servant of the Lord, to crush Jesus. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make, now notice this, it says, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, notice what it says. It says, he, that's talking about Jesus, Jesus shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. Pause. 
Why in the world would it talk about, of course, Jesus, uh, you know, this Jesus dying, the suffering and the death he's going to pay. Why, after all that's over, would it say he's going to see his seed talking about people who would be, um, whose sins would be paid for. Why does it say he would prolong his days if he's going to die? Real simple. Because Jesus did not stay dead. Amen. Jesus did not stay dead. Listen, people. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Jesus is alive. He is alive. And it was confirmed by witnesses. Folks, you know, you, you probably are like me and you watch too much of uh, like, um, like uh, uh, detective shows and, you know, uh, and uh, crime busters and all that kind of stuff. But most of the time on these shows, and it's actually not reality, to figure out, uh, you know, murders and all that, they use a lot of DNA and they're like, oh, DNA, I did a little DNA test off of, you know, a, a breath of air that they breathed, you know, and I found out who the murderer is, you know. Do you know that uh, I was reading uh, the, or watching um, this one uh, homicide detective who did it? He said, we actually don't use that very much. Like, much at all. I know that bust your ear your show. Sorry to ruin your show. You know what he said we use? Witnesses. People who were there. People who knew something about it. You know what the Bible says about Jesus rising from the dead? He had hundreds of witnesses. Any homicide detective would have to tell you, according to logic and witnesses, you would have to accept that Jesus rose from the dead. You know why he rose from the dead? Because death has no power over Jesus. Because what he did was he died to pay the death penalty of your sin, but then he rose from the dead to show, I have all power over death. And I'm going to tell you what, if Jesus has all power over death, that means he is the only one who is authorized to give anybody eternal life. You know what's neat? Is that God has thrown open the gates and said, whosoever will may come. Whoever is willing to admit their sin, admit their sinful status and accept Jesus' death as the only payment for their sins, he says, the gates are open wide and I'll forgive. I'll pay your debt of sin if you'll let me. So this is the final thing I want you to see is your decision to make. It says in verse number 11, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. God's wrath was satisfied with Jesus dying on the cross. It says by his knowledge, check this out, shall my righteous servant justify many. What the word justify means? It means to declare someone not guilty. You know what God wants to do? If he's not already done it for you, you know what God wants to do? He wants to justify you. He wants to declare you not guilty. Because you and me, we're guilty. We're guilty of sin. We, we've sinned against God. We're all guilty. You know what God wants to do? He says, I want to justify you. I want to declare you not guilty. Hey, has there been a time in your life where you came to God and said, all right, God, I admit it. I'm a sinner. I deserve the penalty of hell. But I, you know what? Today, I'm going to accept Jesus' payment on the cross as the only payment for my sin. You know what God says he'll do? He'll justify you. He'll declare you not guilty. Because that's the only way that sinners like you and me can step into heaven. Not if we've done good works. Not if we've been baptized. Not if we were church members. But if God declares you're not guilty. You know who God declares those who God says are not guilty? Those who have accepted Jesus' payment on the cross as the only payment for your sin. Hey, has that ever happened for you? You know, Romans 10, 13 says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know that God is more than willing right now to listen to you if you're willing to drop the pride and to drop 
the trusting in good works, the trusting in baptism, the trusting in communion, the trusting in your parents or whatever it may be, and put your trust and your dependence on Jesus alone to save you from your sins, God says, I'm willing to justify you. You know, at the end of um, World War I, there, was, uh, there were 900 Germans that were brought before the world court because they had uh, committed you know, um, gross crimes against humanity during World War I. 900 Germans were brought to this at the end of World War I. And the crown prince, it was, it was the crown prince of, um, of Germany, yeah, the, or, I'm sorry, the former crown prince of Germany, came forward at this, at, this, um, at this tribunal and volunteered to be the substitute and to take all the crimes, all the punishment of all the crimes that all 900 men had done. He was willing to accept all of their punishment on himself. Read about it. Do you know what they did? They said, you can't do that. Why not? He said, in you, he said, you may be a crown prince. They said, but you don't have the intrinsic value in you of 900 people. And you cannot bear the punishment for 900 people. You know what's neat? Is that Jesus, because he is God, has the intrinsic value in him to be able to forgive, the Bible tells us, the sins of of the world. It's 1 John chapter 2, I believe, that says, and he is the propitiation. That means the substitute. Not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hey, has there been a time when you have put your trust on Jesus alone to save you from your sins? Can I tell you something we're going to do this morning? As we, this is, the, this is our, our ending spot here. Is we always give something we like to call the invitation. All it is is simply this. We are inviting you if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, we are inviting you to do that this morning. What we have is, for one thing, you're more than welcome to pray in your seat if you'd like to. But I'll tell you what, some of you may have some final questions. Our, our pastor is here. He's got counselors as well that are able to pray with you and to help you. Because some of you are right now say, in your seat saying, oh my goodness, I've never realized this before. I, didn't even, I just never got it before. Hey, that's okay. Now you know. And so why not today? Why not today be a great day that when we give our invitation, you say, you know what? I'm ready. I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. Pastor's ready or his, his wife or they've got other counselors that will sit with you, will pray pray with you. If you want to ask some final questions, they'll take you, they can take you somewhere uh, into one of our side rooms, pray with you, help you ask Jesus to be your savior so that God can justify you. Will you let him do that today? Amen. Why would you wait? What more do you want God to do before you're willing to accept him as your savior? What more do you demand of him? Other than paying the entire penalty of your sin. What sin is so exciting to you? that you would risk your eternity on it. Friend, I don't know how long God is going to kind of pound at the door of your heart. But one day he'll be done pounding and he'll say, have fun. But I'll tell you what, today's the day God's knocking on the door of your heart. Why don't you respond? Open the door and ask him to save you from your sins. Okay, so let's do this. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.